I fell into a ring of fire. I fell in. When you kiss me, fever, when you hold me tight. Fever. Hello and welcome to Fever FM. Tonight we're talking the final game in the season. Uh, unfortunately, I'm joined by Dave, Dale and Cam. Hello all. Hello. Was that unfortunately directed just at me or the entire group? No, no. Uh, unfortunately, is one particular member of this uh, pod, but it's not you, Dave. It's definitely me. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a pleasure to see you, Dale and Dave. Um, as you can tell, there's been much rubbing before this started because talking about the game was just not high on the agenda at the moment. But it's what we're here for. Let's just crack straight into the game. Hopes were muted, I think, is it safe to say? Um, but it wasn't too bad a start. Well, well quite, quite easy taking the lead after, what, 65 seconds, I think. Robin. So Warland at, at um, the edge of the box, and Zawada had a pretty good shot. Yeah, you know, another you know half half meter wide, and we could have taken the lead quite easily, uh, which sort of suited the game plan um, a lot better. But was not to be. Is that the game plan where we go ahead and then concede? Because that's our usual game plan, isn't it? Well, at least some of those times we actually don't concede, as opposed to when we concede and then come back. That most never never happens. So. At least it gave us a non-zero chance. Yeah. yeah. We had talked about it. We knew we needed goals, right? And so one that early certainly would have helped any any chance of uh, yeah winning this. But the reality is I, I don't think that early goal would have changed the outcome here. Um, but it might have given you a better shot at it, right? Yeah, well, there was. it felt like Adelaide weren't quite switched on at the back. There was that uh, opportunity when Ball, I think, robbed someone not long after that. And it got you, it got me hoping, and you know it's the hope that gets you. I guess realistically, it was it um was it always going to be the Adelaide counter that was the the big risk for us? Um, it certainly, you know, while it was nil all, I didn't feel like we were that far out of it. Honestly, there was only one thing that was ever going to be the real risk for us, and that was Craig Goodwin, because that's all Adelaide actually have, and. He's a good have to have, but he was the sole difference maker in that game. Yeah, I think for most for most part, you know, that first even before the goal, we sort of had our shape well, kind of limited them to very wide positions where they kind of hoisted a couple of balls in, and they had a couple of sort of not free hitters, but, you know, hitters that were under challenge, so they're pretty pretty low risk opportunity. So for most part, I thought we kind of set out pretty. Pretty solidly and looked, you know, reasonably compact and structured and disciplined, and it looked, yeah, up until the goal that we looked, you know, pretty comfortable. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, we slowed them down enough so that that counter was taken out of it, and then it's just their only route was, I guess, hoof it into Blackwood. Blackwood, isn't it? Up top, the big fella. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he had he had at least one good opportunity uh, ball. A very nice Craig Goodwin delivery on almost straight onto his head. Um, a marker gave him a pretty wide berth, and he managed to head wide. That was kind of a warning sign. 
which we didn't take a tremendous amount of um, knowledge of, it, did it just kind of? Uh, it felt like it felt to me like the game just was getting just starting to accelerate away from us a little bit by the time Goodwin scores. We we were living a bit dangerously with the amount of ball we were giving them. Felt to me anyway. Yeah, I mean, maybe I think yeah before the goal we had a, a kind of a, almost a carbon copy almost immediately before, didn't it? There was a wide ball where Elliot didn't deal with the cross and it fell to Goodwin who had his shot blocked and then almost the exact same scenario happened again, you know, for the goal where Elliot headers it into a straight to Goodwin, um, you know, and a, and a header that was, you know, up and away that kind of kills the the danger, but he hit it straight to Goodwin who's in, you know, magnificent form and to a couple of touches and, um, yeah, it's a pretty handy finish from the angle. You know, you kind of look from that and with his right foot. Yeah, that's right. And you look at the camera from behind the goal, and, it, and he kind of threads a very small window of opportunity. So, it's happened throughout the season where we should have dealt with a, 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 a you know, an incident better than we than we did, and it led to a you know, killer goal. Dave, uh, did you think that um, Elliot could have done more with that header? I mean, yes, but he was in an awkward position, and it, it, you know, he had to get something on it. Letting it, letting it just go through wasn't an option. Um, he probably just gets a bit unlucky that he doesn't get quite enough on it, right? Um, but I think if, you know, we've we've all been in those defensive positions where you you know you're not going to get all of it, but I think any any coach would tell you you're still better to get something, right? Yeah, I think the problem for me is that he had a long time to spot this cross. Like it wasn't like a whipped cross yeah. that was kind of a, a short amount of time to react and you kind of just put something on it. It was quite a deep cross. He had a lot of time to get under it, read a flight and put a decent header on it and he, and he didn't do it. And no. he, he ends up in a bad position, which, which generates this. But as you say, his bad position is all entirely his own doing. Yeah, well, we'll get more into, um, I think, his bad positions later on. This stage, I, it felt like, we had to chase the game a little more, and even though it was still early days, that did that concern you as much, Cam? Knowing Adelaide are so good on the counter, not overly. Um, I always thought, like we we agreed last week that we were going to have to score more than one, which has been a a been a issue for us all season, and uh, so it, like them scoring the one didn't really change the way that we were going to have to play anyway. We're going to have to chase again, try and create the opportunities, which to be fair we were, and there were there were opportunities out there for us to score a couple of very very good ones, which I'm sure we'll cover in the future. So them scoring it didn't really change for me the attitude that we had to take to the game. It's a knockout game, football. Just go and score a couple of goals, and you're probably going to go through. Yeah, I, I think you know, one goal probably hasn't changed the dynamic hugely, I think. You know, part of the strategy is to keep it tight for as long as possible. Now, whether that's nil all um, or, or one nil down probably doesn't really matter too much because it's still a, a tight scoreline. So even if it's nil all and you score yourself against the run of play, you go ahead. If, it, if it's you know, you're one nil down, you get back to a drawing position. So there's always going to be that, create that pressure from them, being a home team in front of a decent crowd, expecting to win dragging it on for as long as you can to create that tension and try find an opportunity for when they make a mistake or, or you know, we make a, a good play or something like that. So even at 1-0 down, I thought, you know, there's still a chance here. I didn't think, you know, that's done and dusted, even if it was to get back to 1-0 and, and take the extra time or whatnot. But, yeah, I think once I got to 2-0, then it was obviously game over. But Yeah, we did have a couple of opportunities uh, right at, towards the end of that first half. Sars had a, a shot from distance 
that he just didn't quite get round enough. He's he's starting to he was starting to look like he was slowly getting better through that season. The la- but it's only been kind of the last few games for me. As much as it's been rocks and diamonds, there have been fewer rocks, slightly more diamonds as the season's gone on. He's left it too long, too late though, to be able to justify us keeping him on beyond the contract of one year. If he'd been doing this, you're going to, fair enough, you give the guy a couple of games to settle. The same thing happened with Zawada and he turned into an absolute diamond. That's great. And we've had that happen in the past with our players as well. But he's taken 22 games to play four half decent games at the end of the season. And that's not enough. That is a fair assessment, I think. Um, not long after that, uh, there was a bit of a penalty shout um, with Zawada. I'm going to put you on the spot, spot Dale. Um, pen, no pen? No no pen for me, but I think if he calls it a pen, it doesn't get overturned. Yeah. It's a soft one, but whatever the on-field call was, was probably going to stand. What, wasn't a referee genuinely going to give that one in a, in a finals game? We've seen softer ones given in finals games. Um, but that's not necessarily the bar we should hold. Um, yeah, hold everything to. I, I think what uh, Zawada does, he, he doesn't milk it well enough. He kind of just falls at his body rather than like if he kind of stumbled and fell to the ground after taking a couple of steps because he got pushed off balance, then it maybe gives it. But he kind of feels the small kind of you know, arm in the back, and he kind of just lets his legs go and just falls down. I think it, it looks it looks quite divey. Um, so yeah. I think that's probably why it wasn't given. It, I think if, he, if he looks, looks better, like he goes down easy. Yeah, yeah. A big man to not look like he's going down easy when he is going down easy is a very tough ask, though. It's a yeah. it's a lot of mass to hit the ground just to willingly smash into the ground. Um, the sad thing is, I I feel like it's a criticism the Phoenix probably get at times. I know I've certainly made this criticism before of, of not necessarily going down easy enough sometimes, you know, where we do get clipped in the box and keep our feet and don't end up with a penalty because we kept our feet. So it's frustrating to see us probably going down too easy in situations where the penalty wasn't really there and we're trying to milk it. And yet those ones that are penalties and all yet all you had to do was go down instead of try and keep your feet and you would have got it and it would have been the right call. We don't do it. So it's, it's a hard balance because I just... I find it frustrating that the situations where we should milk the penalty, we tend not to. And then ones like this, we end up looking a bit divey because of it. So, and, and still don't get the penalty. So uh, yeah, something needs to change in that balance. Like if we're going to try and keep our feet, then we should just keep our feet all the bloody time. There's no point going down in this situation. Right. But there are times where I, I would be screaming at the, at the TV, you know, go down, you got clipped, take the penalty. I mean, we're rubbish at them, but it's still a better chance than what you're running into. <laughs> And we don't seem to go down in those moments. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, where there were there was a little less controversy, but um, still a massive opportunity for that fell to uh, Rufa of all people in the goal box, uh, almost getting his third. Uh, great, we saw Corny's really ripped it in at that six yard box. There's a bit of chaos. Ball just drops out, and Rufa sees it and to his credit, really dives in at it with his boots uh, and to get a touch on. But Gauchi, again, having showing he um, he had a really good game. Is there anything else that Rufa could have done there to get that ball in? Yes, hit it better and on target. It was on target? 
No, it wasn't at the post. Did it? I thought mm. it went off the inside of the post and Gauchy kept it out. No, no it, was, it wasn't away. going in. It came off the post. It wasn't going in. Okay, fair enough then. I'll, I'll rescind my credit for Gauchy. I mean, Gauchy had a great game. I don't, I don't think that point's wrong. I just don't know that this was the moment that epitomized that. No, Gauchy's best work, I think, was stopping the ball getting into getting to Zavada in the air. He he seemed like he was making a concerted effort. I can't remember how many punches he got out just to stop it from getting yeah. out. Yeah, there was, there was one from Acosta Cross, I think, earlier in that first half as well, wasn't there, that he, he just got a tip to his Zawada was kind of free in the six-yard box. But yeah, it's, it's for everyone, eh? it's like so frustrating. This is like what we're talking about, is keeping the game as close as possible and then cut, you know, latching on to a loose bit of defending or something like that. And this was the opportunity right before halftime. Boom, 1-1, one, mm. one, you know, yeah. get a bit of halftime talk and then, you know, who knows what goes from there. But, yeah, the story of the season, right? Missed, missed, missed opportunities goal, and, yeah. On, and, you know, gifting opportunities at the other end. Yeah, um, you mentioned Costa. He he didn't come out for that second half. Was, was that injury or was that tactical? I didn't hear. They said he had a hamstring injury, I think. Okay. Um, well, either way, it's, it's um, I, I really don't want to bang on about Costa not playing well in yellow and black, but I'm going to. He's, uh, I think, Dave, you mentioned about uh, last week about Costa having turned up for finals games so often. Um, just wasn't able to do it again for, for us when we needed it. No, and... I mean, if I was sitting in the lineup, I don't think I'd start him, but that's not to say I think he had a particularly poor game. I just, yeah, this season we really haven't seen the Costa of old. We know it's there. We know he can do it. We've seen him do it for other teams. But, uh, yeah, there's just something about him in Phoenix Colors that he uh, he struggles to put in the, the big performances. You know, he has scored some goals and he's done bits and pieces. You see, You see moments of it, but... You know, you think of him in victory colours and banging in hat tricks, and you know he there were there were patches there where he basically couldn't not score, and we've never seen that for us. Mm. Yeah, it does it does feel like an opportunity lost to have a a local lad born and born and raised who, you know, to really make a mark for himself in in Phoenix colours, but it unfortunately just hasn't happened. Maybe um, next year. Maybe next year. Maybe next be, year. Uh, the only local lad we know of is at the moment for next year with uh, Clayton not being here. and uh, Again, perhaps another opportunity missed there with Clayton as well. Louis Fenton come back? I feel that's unlikely. Yeah, I, I, I think it... It's, it's kind of hard to pinpoint what's the cause and effect. Uh, some players ban- yeah. playing badly because the team's generally playing badly or is the team playing badly because some players are playing badly i because I, I think yeah. i really struggle at the end of the season to go what was our best 11 like i, I i'm not sure i could clearly say our best 11 was these 11 players I, and i feel that's just because of too many people had too many long patches of not delivering like yeah. i went and had a look some stats today about goals and assists per 90 minutes and barbarosis and our team is down in Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteenth. Point one three assist or goal per ninety minutes. That's equal with Laws, equal with Moragas, just behind Ugarkovic. And just above him, David Ball. Yeah. And, and for me that kind of highlights yep. you know. At the start of the season we had all this competition, right? We had Wayne, we had all these people 
you know, people coming off the bench to score, then they were starting, and people, other people coming off the bench to score. So there's a competition. Maybe that thing that went out, some of that dropped off, and, and some of our attacking players just did not deliver enough. Um, it's that one smaller cog that unchains everything. Maybe, yeah. It, it, we just didn't quite have enough from Ball, you know, Barbarossus. And I'm going to say, to a lesser extent, Lewis, I think, as well. I think I'd chuck him in there. I just don't you, think we got enough out of him. No, definitely. Uh, you, you could you could point the finger as well at uh, Crive, just because as much as he had that purple patch at the beginning of the season, he just yeah. went rapidly off the boil. Um, I mean, he was our second highest goal scorer, wasn't he? Yes, seven, seven, goal. goals and, seven goals and two assists. Yeah. I think as and, well, even if you even if you ignore just goal output, he was he was providing some great assists, making great runs. Like just his general attacking play, even if you set the goals to one side, was fantastic. And then that went off the boil as well because I don't I don't think you would have been that upset if his goals dried up, but he was still laying on incredible assists, right? Like you'd be perfectly happy with that. But that dried up too. His his entire game kind of went into a bit of a shell. Um, and that's why it was such a struggle because we didn't sign Krayev for a hat full of goals, right? That was just a nice to have. What you signed him for was the the you know the tight space play and the little triangles and all that stuff we were seeing early on in the season that just was working, and all of that went away. Hmm. I mean, while we're on the stats thing, I had a look at um, David Ball's career. He has this nasty habit of a third season just complete dip like very consistent the first two seasons six seven goals assists huge work rate and then the third season seems to be this yeah just dry up of any kind of end product um that work rate's still there but you know i think cam you mentioned he had two more years on this contract yeah he does yeah he's here for the next two seasons or he's signed for the next two seasons I mean, you talk about three seasons, but it's actually his fourth season. So, Frosty, that's your, your theory out the window. But, um, I mean, as I say, his output per 90 minutes was 0.16. The season before was 0.34, so at least twice as good. Season before that, 0.44, three times as good. Season, first season, 0.45. So, he's had three very good seasons, and one season mm. hasn't done so well. And looking at some of this in League One, you know, 0.45, 0.5, 0.8, like, he can do it in League One quite regularly has done it. Yeah, this is his worst output ever, ever by a long way. Yeah, and it'd be, it'd be interesting to, to I, and I know you won't have it in front of you, but it'd be interesting to compare his other stats as well because I, I I don't think anyone would question his work rate, right? right? He's, he's in there, he's making passes, he's winning the ball, he's doing lots of good stuff, but it's not attacking output. Um, we're no, just it's... not really seeing that from him anymore, um, at least this season, right? Um, he's he's in he's in good places on the field and he's doing good work, but it's not goal, um, you know, goal metrics. It's it's other stuff, um, which is why you feel you feel a bit for him because he you know he had some great chances and he worked bloody hard. If if he had some goals in the in the bank this season, you would have called it another great season. But instead, it was you know coming off three posts and not going in for him. That's just life sometimes. Do we want to loop back to that second half? We kind of went down a bit of a rabbit hole there. So with uh, Kryev on, um, it felt like we were trying a little more, but the longer that game went, the more that Adelaide counter seemed to kick in. And I think by the time they brought on, who were the subs? Um, Arun Kunde. 
Yeah, there was Urukunde, but also the Japanese striker. Ibisuku came on for Blackwood. Yeah. I mean, that those are two remarkable subs to be able to bring on, you know, for 20, 30 minutes a pop. I mean, wouldn't it be nice to have someone like that on your bench? Well, yeah. I mean, it's better than Oscar Van Hattem, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I think you can look back and go, oh, Matt, what happens if we kept Wayne all season? Um, would it have been any different? Uh, who, who knows? But, you know, then we might we would have been short of a player at different times when yeah. Wooten was, was injured. So it's it's easy to kind of say, oh, yeah, we just didn't have the the production off the of our starting eleven or our or our bench for that last half of no. the season. The, the, if Wayne's still here, it, it helps answer that where's the other goal coming from question a lot easier, right? But yep. it doesn't solve some of your other problems. Um, so, it, you know, it was a piece of the puzzle that obviously it would have been nice to have not been scrambling to try and find where we were going to get second goals from because Zawada only had one every week, you know? But it doesn't solve your problems at the back. It doesn't solve injury issues. It doesn't solve, you know, bad patches of form. So it might have helped, but I don't I don't think you can put that down as the, the be-all of how this could have gone better. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to look at if we're going to go into it and not save it for next week, it's the 25 points we dropped from winning positions. That's your issue, not... The, the fact is you're getting into winning positions, even with the questions that we've got about the attack and the lack of goals and all that sort of stuff. And the, the issue is we're not closing out games and uh, we're giving away an awful lot of points that we should have got. And those points, even half of them would have seen us in second place and home playoff and in a much better position mentally as a team moving into the playoffs, not having one win in eight games and our second best performance in that last eight games was the 2-0 loss to Adelaide so yeah and and to loop it back to this game I think you can you can look at the stats you know we've talked a little stats chat here but looking at the, the stats for this game we were actually incredibly even on almost all stats the possession was pretty equal um you know passes jewels all that kind of stuff even the foul count wasn't that one-sided the biggest difference, um, and in fact, XG overall, they they were 1.9 versus 1.2 or something like that. So again, not that disparate for a 2-0 result, but the, the stat that was different was shots. Um, and we had a fair few shots. We had 10. They had something like 18, I think. But the big difference was we only had two on target. Um, and if you've only got two shots on target in a game where you're already struggling as a team to find goals you're going to really struggle when, you know, basically we all agreed you needed at least two goals in this to win it. Um, and you only had two shots on target. You're not going to get it done like that. Um, and that's just, that's just what it was. We were getting in good position. We were fashioning shots, but at the end of the day, the, the final product wasn't there. And that's why we come away with a big zero in the only stat that matters. Um, and yeah, it, it shows we were in this game, you know, there were there was the potential for us to nick one and be you know coming away with a result, but we weren't finishing the way we needed to. The shots, the quality of them, just wasn't good enough. Uh, whereas, um, yeah, shots on target, heaps more from Adelaide, heaps more shots, heaps more shots on target, and they come away with two goals. Yeah, it did feel like the the you know as you say the xG like those shots that they were getting were especially on the on the break. It just felt like they were way more likely to to um, 
be hitting the, hitting the back of the net. And let's be honest, it, it was only some good defending and some good goalkeeping that kept us in it a few times. Uh, Dale? Yeah, I was just going to say there's a, there's a stat online about big chances missed. Now, I don't know how you define a big chance, but we're leading that, uh, we're leading that particular ladder at the end of the season, 45. Only one ahead of Central Coast, but it kind of goes to the point about the inability to be clinical on, on the, the chances that we had. And Ufi talks a lot about wanting to create the best chances. And so, you know, we might be a bit more patient about that to try and get a, a high percentage chance. But when we did it, we didn't take it enough. And the last yeah. point about that is also that the chances that they did take, whilst they were creating and taking those shots, the two goals they did get were both defensive errors. And that's Correct. quite a tough one to take as well, considering how how tough it has been for us to get those that second goal. And I genuinely thought we were going to score. I genuinely, and I, to be fair, I think we should have. Uh, but, you know, the getting that second one, if you're going to give two, and, you know, all credit, I actually think Elliot's had a great season. This wasn't his best game, uh, and he shouldn't be judged. His season shouldn't be judged accordingly. Uh, but those two errors have effectively cost us that. Yeah, I, I thought the first one was a bit of a minor error. You know, just with the head, I think he just, you know, he had to be a little more definitive in what he did with it. But the second one, I think Goodwin's forced this error. He's run at him with such pace that Elliot's tired. He's been running up and down all day, and he's not quite sure now that he's seen that that Goodwin can hit them with his right and his left. He's not quite sure where to go. And most defenders when they get faked out like that, they're just drifting past and hoping the cover gets in. But he's tried to... Actually, I don't know what he's tried to do. It... Dale, do you know what he was trying to do there? Not not entirely. I mean, this, this is frustrating on two fronts because one, Moraga should have just brought down Irukunda. Without question, yes. drag him behind. Um, I think Krayev did yeah. it moments later. Sass did it moments later. And one of their players did it moment later. Like, it's yeah. a, it's a tactic to do. Good teams know when to do it. Sydney were really yeah. good at it a few years ago when they won the league. They knew how to do a ta- ta- uh, tactical foul. Drag him down, done. Um, the fact that he tries to tackle him down and misses, like, just just silly. Just I don't know if it's inexperienced or stupidity. It's one of the two, and uh, you take a side, I suppose. But, yeah, the, and, and then the, yeah, the Elliott one, it's frustrating because I think if he just runs his line and doesn't put his leg out, he gets away with this because I think... Yes. He, he's kind of just running a straight line, right? You can't get out of the way. And I think Moragas has made a chance to get back and maybe win the ball back. I think Goodwin's kind of taken a little bit of a heavy touch around him. And only because Elliot's flung out a leg that it, it, he gets fallen down. If he if he just keeps running or slows down his run to kind of impede, I think he gets away with it and it, and it probably gets cleared. Yep. Totally agree. I I, there, I can't remember whether it was Moragas or someone else, but yeah, there was definitely someone in that cover on, on that heavy touch. And I suspect that touch would have gone straight through to Ollie Sale anyway. Um, but yeah, you, once, once you lift your leg and clatter someone in the box, it, it's tough to say no pen, right? Oh, yeah. No, no question whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, um, it also le- leaves Goodwin taking that pen and he does take a very nice penalty. Um, he faked Sale out of his boots quite nicely there. Sale doesn't have the best record with pens from my anecdotal recollection. Um, 
you know, some keepers make a bit of a specialty of it, but I don't recall Ollie saving too many. He's pretty good against Sydney FC. Is that pretty good against Sydney FC, or was that um? That was just some really horrendous finishing. <laughs> yeah. Well, he saved one of them. Yeah. This is this is a pretty good pen, though, right? Like... Yeah. Yeah, roofing it down the middle when you you know at this level when you know a keeper's going to commit one way or the other is it doesn't seem it seems like an un, underutilized option. Well, it, it, arguably, it's lower percentage than not just smashing it down the middle, right? Like down the middle is is a valid tactic, but normally you take a little off it so the keeper's got time to move out of the way. But arguably he maybe hits it too hard and, and gives Sale more of a chance to kind of still be there, still diving, right? But it, obviously that's not how it goes. It, it goes in, it looks like genius move. But yeah, generally that down the middle one, you don't want to smash the cover off it because uh, then the keeper might still have just not reacted yet. And and Ollie's been beaten down the middle a couple of times this year. I could specifically remember this one and the one against Brisbane in um, Eden Park. So the last two that I remember him facing, he's got beaten down the middle. So that may be something for him to, um, maybe something that people have noticed about his his uh, penalty saving technique. Well, let's be honest. If it's down that middle, you're basically trying to get it with your top leg, right? So... That I think that in itself is a bit of an ask. It's effectively can I get can I get this in the roof down the middle, and without the keeper realizing that I'm going down the middle, and you're away. But yeah, it's still it's still beautifully taken. Craig Goodwin looks like he is in fantastic form for the finals. I'm hoping he rips some of those other teams apart because if anyone's going to win it, I, I wouldn't be horribly upset if it was Adelaide. Um, did any of you see the Sydney Derby by any chance? I went back and watched it because it sounded juicy. <laughs> Only the highlights. W- worth watching for the tears, the red and black tears, let me tell you. I heard that it's worth watching for the last two minutes and post-whistle. Oh, and... post, post-whistle Ryan Grant is as much of a twat as his haircut suggests. He is not really unexpected. going. I mean, oh, no, I I have not liked him for a long, long time, but I think the moment at, at the final whistle there is the first time I've ever liked him. It was yes. glorious. Yes. Normally oh. I find him to be a twat, but I was like, actually, this is amazing. I'm oh, here for he, this 100%. I, I, I was literally cheering for him. The way he was right in front of the bench, not making eye contact with the bench, but just yelling things. And, just celebrating and, on his yeah. own in front of their bench is just <laughs> such a power move. And, and then having words to Rudan as well that you know were very spicy in nature. Oh, yeah. Um, Rudan felt the need that he had to stop La- uh, Layuni um, from injecting yeah. himself into things. It was, oh, golden. Um, yeah, so that obviously sets up a fairly nice set of finals that we really don't care about, do we? <laughs> I'm just happy that the Wanderers are out mostly. Yeah. yeah. I, I I was explaining to my seven-year-old about why Daddy was cheering that the Wanderers are out. I mean, partic- like, particularly after Rudin's uh, article in the um, Sydney oh, or whatever it was. About, what a narcissist. Like, honestly, he just sounds like he just sounds like an absolute psycho, doesn't he? 
Yeah, yeah it does. I think narcissist is, is about the nicest word I can think of to describe him and how he yeah. comes across in that article. It's like, yep, I'm right. Like, whatever spell. Yeah, I, I'm I'm expecting a nice little Mourinho uh, self-combustion and, and you know, maybe next season, maybe the season after. I look forward to that as well. Um, so let's get on to the post-season. Uh, we'll do a full-season review, but... There are some announcements that have come out of the club, obviously. Um, firstly, the departures. There's quite a few, but as the optimists, uh, Dave and Dale and Cam, have pointed out, there's actually quite a few people that are still signed. Um, was it 13 or 14 still signed? 12, I think. 12. Oh, is it 12? Sorry, my bad. Um, but I, it, it feels, the departures feel worse because... There, who said that there were more first string levers? I think it was you, Cam, um, in chat. But so, no, the, it wasn't me. Okay. I, I think I said it feels like that to some people because okay. I, I think the reality is the number of departures this season is actually pretty low compared to some other seasons. We're not, we're not talking big numbers here. I think the thing is, A, that it's felt dragged out. You know, the fact we had three of them announced quite a while ago and they all felt very important. Um, hurt a bit and then to have a few more that also feel important has people thinking shit this is doom and gloom you know this is real bad stuff but we've had we've had seasons before where we've been announcing you know 13 14 15 players leaving at this time of the season and this isn't that at all you know we have good numbers still on the books most of our starting 11 are still there our imports are still there at you know that this to me while some of those names are interesting um and you're going to read them shortly we still have a good squad, and this just gives Chiefy some scope to, you know, put his put his you know fingerprint on it. I'm actually going to ad lib them, to be honest, because I haven't written them down. But uh, we have uh, Callan Elliott, um, Josh Laws, Nico Boxall, all leaving from that back line. Uh, we have uh, Ugarkovic going off, I think, to Melbourne City potentially. Uh, Clayton Lewis, I think, he's been confirmed to Macarthur now. Ollie Sale going to Perth. Uh, Jan Sass has is off contract and hasn't been renewed. Um, and of course, obviously, the coach uh, Uvuk Tale has gone off to yet to be confirmed. So it does feel you're right, Dave. It does feel uh, a lot worse. I mean, is that is it because we've had such a kind of soft ending to the season that it feels that bad or is it is it literally that half the spine's been ripped out i think part of it's the unknownness like you know what you've had but you don't know what you're getting and i think at this time i had a a couple of snarky comments today on twitter about people seeming to forget that you can sign players to replace these players it it kind of feels like oh we've lost these players and we're never that's all we're going to get so it, it always feels a bit like funny. This this always just seems a bit of an angst at this time of year because you know what you're yeah. losing, but you just don't know what you're getting. Um, yep. And I think, you know, there's always this kind of, you know, both both players and, and the club need to agree to, to for someone to stay on. Um, so you can't just say, oh, we should have kept this player because you never know what that player wants to, to do or move or, or, or what. You don't know their circumstances. So I think you've got to have some based on the last few seasons, you've got to have some optimism that they know what they're leaving, but they have a fair idea about what they want and replace. Otherwise they would have, you know, um, tried some, some, you know, 
um, to try and keep some more players because they said that of those people announced today, only Callan uh, was the only one that they had put a contract in front of. So they've chosen not to renew or to you know, try and negotiate with a lot of those other players. Um, we should add that uh, Nicholas Pennington is off contract at the moment, but they're still in negotiations. Um, you do mention that that there is uh, obviously some, uh, they've obviously a plan in play. Uh, we heard mention that the visa spot that's freed up by Jan Saas uh, would be used in a centre-back role. Uh, that sounds very specific. I, I did see that today, but who said it? It sounded to me like pretty rampant speculation realistically, didn't it? Or did someone from the club actually come out and say that? Skilly, I think. Oh, was it? Okay. I listened to some of Gilly's interview, but um, yeah, I was mostly focused on the Alet stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. That would that would suggest to me the more interesting part of it is that says they've got centre mids lined up. Because I think from the outside, you'd be assuming uh, that that's where you'd be looking to spend your import slot was on a on a centre mid um, and that you'd, you'd have more options there. But that would suggest that they've got their eyes on either an Australian or Kiwi centre mid that they like the look of, or maybe a couple. Um, obviously, Pennington might be one of those ones they're looking at for backup, but surely he's not your your starting option to replace the hole that's gone in there. Um, so yeah, they must they must have a clear idea who they like there. I mean, I think they've I mean they've had two seasons of Wooten, Payne, and Laws as some various combinations of centre backs, and both years we've considered almost fifty goals in both seasons. Yeah. So I think realistically, you can't go into another season with those same three players, right? They're not magically going to get better um so i think they've gone you know we need to strengthen that um i thought Wooten hasn't been he's been sort of up and down i think this season yeah. but i think if you see someone like you know stephen taylor when we had him like he made everyone in their back line better and yeah. if you can get someone not necessarily at the same level but someone you know somewhere in between you know him and where Wooten were that's probably drags up the the rest of the back line um and probably you know imp- improves Wooten's, you know uh, ability as well so i i had marked you know um a, a visa spot for yeah another central midfielder but i can see why they've gone we can't necessarily have those same players at the back again see i see uh laws as a victim of circumstance here where pain and Wooten are uh, both happen to be contracted beyond the end of next season and laws wasn't and if you're going to have that change up that you're talking about you're necessary if one of them goes, it's the one that is off the contract, right? You're, you're not going to, if, if you see them all as about the same, you're not going to bin one of the others. You'll keep those two and bin the next one. So I think he's just a victim of circumstance at this point. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, I am um, I am hopeful that Finn Sermon's going to get a bit more game time. The, time. the time he did have, I thought he looked like he had a lot of potential, but if you're bringing in another visa player, that again bumps him down to that fourth centre-back spot. Yeah, I think I think as you say, there's a lot of potential there, but I don't I don't think we've seen anything that suggests he's ready to be your um, starter or even your backup. I don't think you know he's he's worth some minutes and and season or two from now. I think he he could well be in that position, but he's not there yet. But I think the interesting part about this is probably this is the first uh, hint of what we might expect to see from Chiefy and the style he wants to bring. Right, that rather than looking for an import creative midfielder of some variety, right? He's seeing that he wants to shore up the defense first. This is this is where he sees that um, key missing piece being. And obviously, 
Um, there are good reasons for it. You, you, as you say, we've been shipping a lot of goals and there are good reason to shore that up. But I think um, some different styles of managers would have gone, well, screw it, we'll just outscore. Um, you know, we're better to have more output at the other end of the field than we are to worry about that. We've got serviceable defense, but he obviously sees shoring that up as more critical to how he wants his team to shape up. So I think I think that's an interesting hint towards what he may be looking at. Obviously, we're going to find out a lot more through his other signings and actually seeing them take the field. But I think it's an interesting first um, tidbit of information if, if that has come from the club. Plus, he's a, uh, he's a former goalkeeper, so of course he wants a couple of good centre-backs in front of him. <laughs> oh, you think he's starting himself, do you? <laughs> that'd, that'd be controversial. <laughs> yes, with Elliot leaving, you know, that kind of pencils in pain for right back unless something else comes up. Um, yeah, which again yep. is also an interesting kind of dynamic. I don't think that's it's not yeah. a bad idea. Payne has been good at right back previously, so but he's very defensive. I think the other thing here as well that um, uh, I mean, it will be interesting. But knowing knowing that Chiefy has such good ties, like Ufi did to Australian kind of youth level and that grassroots club stuff. Um, maybe there's another Cammy Devlin that he's he's got his eye on, you know, that that they are going to bring out of semi obscurity into into a, a key position there. Um, that maybe he's got his eye on some people that we're not aware of yet. Because or Chiefy strikes me as the sort of guy who's been doing his homework for a long time and probably kept a couple of little ace ups up his own sleeve for the day he needed them, and now he's got that day. Or return, uh, you know, return from Germany for a player whose club's about to be put down to the Bundesliga. I mean, uh, we'd all like to see three. that, but yeah. Well, he Look, does play the, eight The point now. is, man, we don't know. We've got no clue. He might play a back three. He might not play wing backs. He might play a back five. We have no clue at all what he's going to do or what the plan is that he wants to do. Yes, it's great. There's good indication that he's uh, he's looking at shoring up the fence. We all think that's a good idea. But if he's going to play a four-two-three-one or a three-two-four-one or whatever, no clue at all, no idea what his what his plan is. So we can speculate where he's going to use those um, visa spots all we like. He may see the best thing is we need a great keeper because I am going to go out and score five a game, and we're probably going to concede three. We just no idea. You've missed the point about the whole pod. It's just like rampant speculation, Cam. Yeah, that's far too much logic. If we're going to wait until we have firm answers, Cam, we might be waiting until uh, July before we have any discussion. That is very... Is that when the um, uh, Australia Cup kicks off? I, I couldn't tell you dates, but generally speaking, 1st of July is when you start having a pre-season begin to take shape. Yeah, the um the season the last season uh, preseason started in July, um so the uh, the players that were here were back in July. Dale, it sounds like you've listened to that section of um, uh, Gilly's interview. It's it was very candid from uh, Gilly. Yeah, I guess he was um, questioned heavily about Callan Elliott in particular. I think was it was it when Sale was. Announces going, they said they were also still in discussions with Kellen Elliott and he was still a um, priority re-signing or something similar. Um, so he got questioned about what happened there and he basically said without saying that, well, they offered him a three-year deal um, on improved money, um, but he kind of implied that the sticking point was clauses, of which I think we've all taken to mean buyout clauses. Um, yeah, it sounds like Kellen's got 
ambitions to play overseas. Fair enough. But there was probably quite a different uh, variation in what uh, buyout clauses the player wanted and what the buyout clause the club wanted. And um, yep. that's basically the sort of Phoenix's point of view. I think Paul Eiffel, who's obviously knows Cullen quite well, said on Twitter pointing out that he had a, a contract offer pulled sort of questioning what the club has said. But I, I don't think there's any really difference between what the two stories are because, you know, I think we know that the negotiations have been going on from at least March. I mean, probably longer because um, players can sign six months before the end of the contract. So it's probably January. They've obviously been going for quite a prolonged period of time. And I think, I think from a player's point of view, if you're looking for something overseas, you probably want to drag this out past the end of the European season because that's when clubs start thinking about what they need. Um, so it's probably not a surprise that perhaps the club decided, well, you didn't want this offer, so we're just gonna we're we're just moving on. We've decided we can't wait any longer. We've got some other options and sorry, good luck and uh, goodbye. Yeah, it's very disappointing because I mean being a local uh, you know Kiwi, it, it's one he's done well and two it's good for, you know, to get these local players for the roster means that we can spend the visa somewhere else. But, I mean, did the club really have, I mean, if the contract negotiations go on that long, does any club have that much that they can, you know, that many other options? I mean, I I think in terms of, in terms of pulling it, pulling the offer, I think that fair enough on them. Um, it sounds, it sounds like they've played, um, a very hard line, particularly on those we want cheap release clauses. Um, that was certainly some of the implications around why Ollie wanted to leave was being able to get some favourable terms over in Perth around um, options to go overseas. And um, we certainly got the implication from Gilly that um, the clauses in question were relating to opportunities to go to overseas clubs. And he said that um, the clauses they were seeking didn't offer a offer enough upside to the club in order to um, effectively relate uh, replace Callum, which says to me it wasn't a high enough dollar figure um, for whatever release he was asking to go to overseas clubs. And and if, if it was the same for Ollie's one, I don't see why they take any different stance. They clearly um, think that they don't want to put themselves in a position of having players on the books who could leave at any moment because a European club comes in. You know, if, if they're losing players to European clubs, fair play but they want to get some sort of compensation for it and that compensation ensures that uh i guess they get some warning as well you know you look at something like the wayne deal there was some money on the line there they were obviously in discussions for some time and that does give them a bit of um a bit of lead time on something like that rather than if it's an incredibly cheap offer or potentially these players are even asking for free offers if it's a high enough league for example um, that doesn't afford you any time to try and find a replacement or any money to do so. And that really, with how tight the windows are for the A-League and how tight your squad requirements are, would put you in a really bad position. You know, if your import slot's already taken up and the January window's still you know, a month away, what are you meant to do? So I can understand that, particularly if you're looking at these guys on long-term deals like three years, and surely in that time, Elliot's starting every week, right? By the end of it, at least, if not already. So... It, it would put you in a very bad position. So I can see where they're coming from. If if these players are still arming and arming over that, and um, then I can see why you pull it. If it was we're quibbling a little over the the dollar figure, I think that'd still be in negotiations. I I, I don't quite know how this works as far as payments go to um, 
clubs that have brought them through. I mean, presumably that would impact that as well. So your ability for your bottom line for the club long term would be affected as well, wouldn't it? I mean, there's some different stuff there. So you're talking um, solidarity and it's called like a training payment or whatever, which are based on percentages of um, the transfer fee. So the fee itself is, doesn't matter. It could be a thousand dollars. The percentage is still the percentage. It could be $10 million percentage still yep. works. Um, but it's based on years between it's, I can't remember if it's 13 or 15, but the clubs you trained at between that age and the age of 21, um, get a certain percentage per year, depending on which year it was. And there's different, different structures for that. But none of that really matters to this sort of deal because it, it's just a set fee that comes off the top of every transfer, right? And for some of these guys who've come through the Phoenix Academy, the Phoenix are the ones who are picking up that fee anyway because they came through the Academy. I think either Gilly or Domi has said previously that quite often they've waived their rights to that and and to swap out for like something like on Future sell-ons, yeah. Future sell-ons because I think it's really hard to claw back some of that training dollars. So they go, well, it's nice. It's most of it's bugger all. So they'd rather get us on sale, but, um, let's get on to the uh, other uh, announcement to this week. Um, on the women's side, uh, Nat Lawrence obviously saying that she had um, uh, was not carrying on and that uh, the Phoenix Club has announced that um, the well, now former um, academy uh, coach uh, Temps is getting the job. This is uh, Paul, um, Paul Temple. I don't know him particularly well. Um, you guys have had some dealings with him. What's the general thought about what he's about? He's got a good reputation uh, in youth football throughout New Zealand. He's currently running the under-20 men's team and taking them across to Argentina for the World Cup this month. So obviously he'll be taking over the uh, women's space when he gets back. Um, so in, in people I have spoken to uh, off the record, have uh, are quite excited. People who understand the women's space are quite excited and quite happy with this um, with this appointment. So I think it's good. The guy's ambitious. He's just excuse me. He's ambitious. He knows football. He's been around New Zealand football in the youth space for quite some time. So he will, and obviously within the Phoenix for quite some time as well. So he'll understand how the club works, how the academy works, what players we currently have here, and what we're going to look at, and you know what the what the primary goals are for the team, and you know what the KPIs are, and so on and so forth. So I'm I'm quite I'm quite looking forward to seeing what he's capable of doing. He has taken. He was the one that took the last under-20s to the World Cup uh, where they played Brazil and ran Brazil quite close in Brazil for the for that tournament. So he's obviously got some uh, decent tactical nous. Um So yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting and I'm quite, I'm quite keen to see what he's capable of uh, with the women. Yeah, it's a bit of an interesting one, I, I guess. Um, obviously moved quickly to provide, you know, like the men's side, some consistency and reassurance in the immediate term um i guess it's interesting that that nat decided not to reapply and i'm sure she's got her her reasons for that you would hope by the end of say two years that temps is here that we have invested some more in women's coaching uh within the club so that the next one coming through is female because i think that's important to create a pathway um on that side for coaches as well i'm like I, i've got no idea on the woman's side whether anyone could in new zealand could step up 
to professional, you know, um, full-time coach, maybe with, you know, a couple of years lead in time, there's some ability to bring a few people through the system in terms of assistance and, and whatnot. Yeah, I think that's right. We heard we heard Domi talk about exactly that, how they saw um, that there was kind of a, a stewardship role for them and ensuring that that became a pathway for female coaches as well. So I'll admit I was slightly surprised when we didn't see a female coach announced. But I, I think you look at it um, pragmatically and the licenses you require and the step up that's required, I think it would be an incredibly short list of names, um, particularly if you want it to be a Kiwi as well, which I think ideally that's got to be part of that too. Um, the, the the list is very short. Um, so I would sure hope they spoke to some of those people who would be on that list. Uh, but that said, you know, you put that to one side, I think Temps is probably a reasonable choice. I think he he has good history in that, in that youth space. We probably all agree that the future for that woman's side is um, around focusing on the youth within that side. Um, you know, there, there's probably a place for some older, wiser heads too. But that the youth is where that side really needs to be focused for the next two years. So um, getting a, a coach who has some experience in, in that and some success in it is probably a really smart idea. And he's already within the setup. So he knows, he knows the lie of the land. He knows the players. It, it seems smart on paper, but yeah, the only part of it that I'm mildly disappointed by is that, you know, we're not seeing that stewardship already, but I think that's probably down to a lack of names in the hat. Yeah, one thing he, um, I was listening to an interview he did with Jason Pine on the radio this week about and identifying um, a target being a foreign number nine, which um, is interesting that they are well and truly into that that zone. And obviously it's, I think it's quite clear from the season, the need, I guess it's depending on whether that comes at the cost of a, of a Kiwi player or, or not um, uh, in terms of the, the league regulations, but yeah, and just interesting that he's been quite upfront about that as a as a sort of weakness to to address. Yeah, obviously that's a it's a very long off season for him to start getting that roster together. But it's good to see the club actually appointing nice and early and giving whoever the coach would be to a good amount of time. And it's also nice to hear that the um, club is willing to throw some money in that regard. It, it has been the one deficiency on that women's side that the financial limitations that are obviously on the women's team, but all looking forward. Um, so I guess that brings us to the end of our uh, little pod. Uh, it has been an hour. Dale needs to go to bed eventually after editing this. Uh, we'll be back next week to do a full season wrap up of the men's side. Uh, you know, do all the, dissection of where we think everything went right or wrong and what we can do and we can pick a uh a best best goal of the year that's not a free kick but we have a separate category for free kicks or that is not count at all yeah i mean not- i'm i'm assuming because you said goal it wasn't going to be a free kick dale just um, like kick of the year yeah. not goals because they don't count boot dirty hack maybe um with dale's uh little bents aside we'll be back uh hopefully helena will be back too uh slightly drier than she is at the moment um uh take it easy helena if you're listening to the pod because i'm sure you are otherwise we'll be back next week uh hope you all have a good week till then ciao